Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Whenever someone goes missing and their disappearance is covered by numerous media outlets, it's inevitable that investigators begin to be flooded with tips from witnesses claiming to have seen the victim in the days, weeks, months, even years after they disappeared. Generally, these reports are never confirmed, and it is assumed that the witness mistook the person they saw for the missing person. However, in the cases we will talk about today, the witnesses will supply certain details that make the investigators take notice of these sightings. And while these missing persons cases remain unsolved to this day, these strange witness sightings caused everyone involved to look at the case in a very different light. This week on Mysteriously Listed... Number 10. Brianna Maitland On March 19, 2004, 17-year-old Brianna Maitland was last seen leaving her job at the Black Lantern Hotel in Montgomery, Vermont. A day later, her car was found abandoned just off East Birkenshire Road, across from Dutchburn Farm. The car was backed into the side of an abandoned house, about a mile from her workplace. Also, they discovered her clothing, contact lenses and her driver's licence on the back seat. While foul play seemed the most likely situation here, there weren't any signs of a struggle. With further investigation around the area, they found a woman's fleece jacket in a nearby field but it apparently didn't belong to Brianna. There has been speculation that her disappearance may be connected to the missing person case of Maura Murray. Maura disappeared in a similar fashion. Her car was abandoned in Haverhill, New Hampshire, which was just 90 miles away. Maura's disappearance occurred only a month before Brianna's. Both victims' cars were in an accident and they left their personal belongings inside. Although the local law enforcement determined that the two cases were most likely not related, the theory has not been entirely ruled out. Some believe that she was abducted by someone she knew. Three weeks prior to her disappearance, she was reportedly attacked by a female acquaintance in front of several witnesses. Although Brianna has had numerous martial arts training, she did not try to fight back, and as a result, she suffered multiple bruises in the face. Brianna filed a criminal complaint against her alleged attacker, but it was dropped when she disappeared. 
In the week following, the state police received a tip from an unidentified person who claimed that Brianna was being held against her will in a house in nearby Berkshire, which was just 10 miles from Montgomery. The rented house was occupied by Raymond Ryans and Nathaniel Jackson. Ryans and Jackson were known drug dealers from out of state. When the police raided the house, they discovered several drugs, but there was no sign of Brianna. Upon further investigation, the police found that Brianna had experimented with drugs and was an acquaintance of Ryan's and Jackson. However, the police could not find evidence that the two men were responsible for her disappearance, so they were ruled out as suspects. Later in 2006, CCTV footage at Caesars World Casino in Atlantic City showed a woman resembling Brianna sitting at a poker table. This woman appeared to be talking to a man near her. While many suggested that this woman could be Brianna Maitland, others believe that it is just another woman who looked like the missing woman. The woman in the footage has not been questioned by authorities and her identity still remains a mystery. On August 12, 2013, 25-year-old Tiffany was reported missing after her car was found abandoned just outside the entrance of Fort Pickens parking lot in Florida. Inside the car was a jug of water, clothes, a purse, wallet and Tiffany's bike. Tiffany's vehicle passed the toll at 7.50pm which is just three hours after she left work. However, there weren't any security cameras at the parking lot, so no one is certain exactly what happened after she left her car. The police found two fingerprints on the door, but it did not match Tiffany's or any of her family or friends. When they ran it through a national database, there was still no match of anyone. At the time of her disappearance, Tiffany's roommate noted that he heard a strange series of noises at the front door around 3am. He was unable to explain exactly what he had heard, but he insists that Tiffany is not typically a morning person. While her roommate insisted that he did not see Tiffany again that day, Police discovered that she did return to her house mid-afternoon while her roommate was home and on the phone in his bedroom. A few days after she vanished, there were reports that a woman resembling Tiffany was seen at various locations across Interstate 10. They reported that the woman looked dishevelled and untidy. A few months later, a man with two younger women was spotted in a restaurant. One of the younger women appeared to resemble Tiffany. When the waitress confronted her about the similarities, the three people abruptly left the restaurant. Following the tip, authorities theorised that Tiffany could have fallen victim to a human trafficking ring. Florida is one of the top lists of states with the highest human trafficking rates and the Interstate 10 area where Tiffany had supposedly been spotted. It is known as the main corridor for trafficking.
In spite of all of this, Tiffany has never been located. Today, her family and friends are hopeful that someone will come forward with information that can help solve the case. Number 8. August Ranga After being named the Valley Victorian for his Oklahoma City High School in 2013, he and his family decided to celebrate by going on vacation to Ecuador. During their trip, the family decided to hike a trail near their resort in the city of Banos. Towards the end of the hike, August walked ahead of the group and planned on meeting them at the top of the trail. When the family reached the trail summit, they did not see August there. When they headed back to the hotel, thinking he could be there, he wasn't there either. This was when August was reported missing to the local police. August's parents spent the majority of the summer in Banos searching for their son. Family members and friends joined the search, flying to Ecuador from Oklahoma and other states. Authorities deployed helicopters for the search, and local residents in the area also helped out. While it was initially suspected that he had gotten lost, a strange sighting opened up the possibility that he was kidnapped. A couple of days after he vanished, it was reported that he had been spotted inside a pickup truck heading toward the Amazon region. Throughout the next year, local citizens reported more sightings of a young man that resembled August. However, the authorities denied that any of the sightings were actually the teenage boy. The incident even wound up making national news. President Barack Obama made a statement about August's disappearance and referred to him as a missing patriot. The Ecuadorian president also pledged his support and told the family that he would make it his mission to find him. Despite all the publicity the case has received, August still remains missing. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Number 7. Joan Reish. Joan Reish was a 31-year-old housewife who lived in Massachusetts with her husband and two children. Joan disappeared on August 24, 1961, when her daughter returned home from a friend's house to find her mother missing and her baby brother crying in his crib. The floor was smeared with blood, the table was overturned and the handset on the wall-mounted telephone had been ripped from its cradle. A trail of blood was also found leading from the kitchen to the end of the driveway. 
Despite the large bloody smears on the kitchen floor and the apparent activity elsewhere in the house, there were no bloody footprints. The police suspected that whoever had been walking there had either been extremely careful or very fortunate. The blood was found to have been type O, which Joan was known to have. The police could not clearly confirm if it was really her blood. Three distinct fingerprints were also found, but none of which matched Joan or anyone else in their immediate circle. Joan's husband, who was out of town on a business trip when she disappeared, he was brought in by the police. But after lengthy questioning, nothing was found to connect him to his wife's disappearance and he was quickly eliminated from suspicion. During the investigation, witnesses reported seeing an unidentified blue sedan parked behind Joan's car in her driveway before she disappeared. After the police heard this tip, they were confident that someone must have abducted her and the suspect shoved her into the blue sedan. However, there were some more strange sightings that complicated the investigation further. That afternoon, a neighbour saw a dazed-looking Joan running outside of her front lawn, but she assumed that she was chasing one of her children. Drivers also reported seeing a woman walking along the road. She appeared to be wandering aimlessly and was hunched over as if she was cold. They ignored her, believing it was just a homeless person. The case took an even more mysterious turn when a local reporter discovered that Joan had recently checked out 25 books from the library. Almost all of them had been about murders and disappearances. Although her husband later explained that Joan had always been fond of mystery novels. Many people began to suspect that she had used these books as a guide to stage her own disappearance to escape her life that she no longer wanted. Joan had worked in the publishing field in New York City prior to her marriage and chose to end her career to raise a family. Her friends claimed that she was very ambitious and was not fulfilled by her home life. Still, the police believe that this was not enough for a reason for a person to stage their own disappearance. Number 6. Shonda Stansbury On December 9th, 2006, 24-year-old Shonda Stansbury went to her sister's workplace at a local Waffle House in Weldon County in North Carolina. She appeared to be in a rough shape with several bruises on her face and legs, but she refused to tell anyone what happened. One of the customers offered her a ride to the trailer court where her friends were staying. However, on the same day, she was asked to leave and she was never heard from again. Since Shonda was known to have problems with drugs and alcohol, authorities initially suspected that her disappearance was on her own accord. But a strange witness sighting changed their perspective. At 11.30am on December 13th, 2006, 
A woman in Halifax County called 911 and said she had seen a woman that she believed was Shonda. She said that the woman had been running into the woods behind the grocery store just off Highway 158. The caller then hung up without identifying herself, but a few days later authorities tracked her down and spoke to her. She stated that two men in their early 30s chased the woman into the woods. One of the men was 5'8 in height with dark complexion and a stocky build, while the other man was 5'6, light-skinned and had dreadlocked hair. When the police searched the area, there was no trace of Shonda and no evidence has ever been found to corroborate the witness's story. Up to this date, her case still remains unsolved. Number 5. Bridget Williamson 23-year-old Bridget Williamson was a former modelling student and had also worked as a registered nurse. She had once been married and has a child, but her life spiralled out of control. After she became involved with the wrong crowd and started abusing drugs, she essentially became a drifter and spent much of her time following a band called the Grateful Dead across the country. She travelled to San Francisco and her last confirmed sighting occurred in April of 1997 when she got arrested. She never showed up for her court date and was never heard from again. Many believe that she had spent many nights on the streets of San Francisco and may have been staying in cheap hotels. Her last known address was in the 300 block of Ella Street in a motel in which she and a male friend rented for a week. In March 2004, Bridget's sister Jacqueline travelled to San Francisco to search for her within the city's homeless communities. She showed photos of Bridget to several people, and they said that Bridget bore a striking resemblance to a local homeless drifter known as the Crier. The San Francisco Chronicle photographed the Crier for a feature on homeless people, and Jacqueline believed that the photo resembled her sister. However, the Crier has not been located or identified. It is unknown if she and Bridget are the same person. Number 4. A.J. Barreau A.J. Barreau was a 51-year-old clothing salesman who lived in Louisiana and worked in the same clothing store for more than 30 years. For years, AJ also battled drinking problems, which led him to be arrested for drunk driving. He soon got very involved with an alcohol support group and seemed to have conquered his problem. At the time of his disappearance, AJ had been sober for eight years. On August 28, 1991, he left the group meeting at around 8.30pm about 30 minutes later, it was reported that he was spotted picking up milk at a local grocery store. But afterwards, he was never seen again. 
Two days later, AJ's car was found abandoned in a park across the street from the grocery store. The police found no sign of foul play in his car. The only clues were AJ's checkbook and wallet, which was found tucked under the front seat. Shortly after his disappearance, witnesses came forward claiming to have seen AJ. One witness claimed that she saw AJ outside of a convenience store making a call on a payphone. She said that AJ was wearing a lumberjack-type shirt and looked very untidy. A red compact car was parked in front of the payphone and there were three men seated in the car and appeared to be watching AJ as he made a phone call. Another witness who knew AJ also claimed to have seen him with three men in a compact car about eight miles out of town. The witness waved at AJ, but he did not wave back. At the time, neither of the witnesses knew that AJ was listed as a missing person. They did not feel the need to report it to the police. Two weeks after those reported sightings, a chilling handwritten note came into the police station. It read, AJ Barrow, he was drunk at the time, self-inflicted gunshot wound, stomach. Drawstring cotton sack put in by friend, rolled over steep grassy bayou bank near Dam, Helene. While it seemed to be a letter from the suspect, the police thought that this was just a prank and immediately dismissed it. One month later, a woman sitting on her porch about 20 miles from where AJ disappeared, she saw a van pull up in front of her house. A man got out and offered to sell her frozen fish, which she declined. She told the police that the man reeked of alcohol and resembled the description of the missing person. Authorities believed that AJ had a relapse and started drinking again. This advanced the theory that he could have blacked out and may not know who he was. However, the sightings of AJ with the unidentified men have led his family to believe that he was abducted. Later in 1998... AJ was declared legally dead. Number 3. Rachel Pratt On the evening of January 16, 1995, 15-year-old Rachel Pratt was watching a movie with her brother at their family's home in Garden City, Kansas. At around 2am, their mother came home but she only discovered her son in the house sleeping and Rachel was nowhere to be found. Rachel left all her personal belongings, including her identification and social security card. The one thing missing was her coat. Prior to Rachel's disappearance, she had been caught shoplifting a pregnancy test from a local Walmart and she had alerted her family that she was pregnant. The father of the baby was her 18-year-old high school boyfriend. Rachel was underage and her boyfriend was a legal adult. As a result, he was charged with aggravated indecent liberties of a child. 
However, since Rachel was missing, there was no witnesses against him and the charges were dropped. Five days after she disappeared, a group of girls claimed to have seen Rachel talking on a payphone outside a local grocery store. Rachel's boyfriend was with her and after she handed the phone to him, she went over to the girls and asked them for a ride. When they turned her down, Rachel walked into the store and that was the last time she was seen. Although her boyfriend was never ruled out as a suspect, he maintains his innocence to this day and denied being with Rachel during the alleged sightings at the payphone. The police have never found any information to indicate that Rachel gave birth and there is no record of her receiving a copy of her birth certificate or social security card. Many believe that she may have returned to Kansas after her disappearance. Today, Rachel's mother still lives at the same address and has kept the same phone number, hoping her daughter will call back. Number 2. Elizabeth Campbell Elizabeth Campbell was a 21-year-old college student from Texas. On the night of April 25, 1988, after a fight with her boyfriend, she stormed out of his house. She would then later call him, only 45 minutes later, from a payphone at a nearby convenience store, asking him for a ride home. When he drove to pick her up, she was nowhere to be found. When her boyfriend and parents couldn't find her, they tried to report her missing. But since she was an adult, the police would not accept a missing persons report until 72 hours later. Elizabeth's parents immediately distributed thousands of flyers throughout central Texas. It described Elizabeth's complexion as light and she was part Caucasian, part Korean. She had dark brown hair, about 5 foot 2 in height, and weighed between 100 to 110 pounds. Only six days after she was reported missing, a girl matching Elizabeth's description was spotted by a convenience store clerk about 85 miles from where she was last seen. The clerk saw her in a car that was pulled up to the gas station. She was with a man who was holding her by the wrist as they both entered into the store. The clerk said that the girl did not utter a word and only looked down, avoiding all eye contact. A few days later, another convenience store clerk came forward with a second sighting of the couple that matched the first sighting in nearly every detail. Again, the man was holding her by the wrist and the girl did not talk or make eye contact with anyone. Both witnesses described the suspect as a white male in his late 40s, 5 foot 7 in height, and had plucked eyebrows. Despite these two sightings, local police were not convinced that Elizabeth had been under the control of the rough-looking man. Two months later, a woman claimed to have bumped into a girl matching Elizabeth's description at another gas station. 
She was alone at the time, and the witness described the girl's behaviour as seemingly frightened and was acting as if she was being watched by someone. This was the last known reported sighting of Elizabeth Campbell. One strange aspect in this case is that about four years later, her purse was found in an evidence room of the Crockett County Sheriff's Office, which was about 300 miles west from where she vanished. Inside, they found Elizabeth's social security card and her school ID. Authorities believed that it was turned in shortly after she disappeared, but they had no idea how long it had been there because there was no record on file. Since Elizabeth's disappearance in 1988, her parents had devoted much of their time and financial resources in repeated attempts to locate their missing daughter. Number 1. Misty Murray Misty was adopted by the Murray family when she was just five years old. Her adoptive parents described her as friendly and outgoing and initially performed well in school. But when she reached puberty and developed some personal problems, her grades slipped. Her adoptive parents arranged to reunite Misty with her biological parents in the hopes that this connection would add a sense of identity and stability to her life. On May 31, 1995, two days before visiting her biological parents, Misty, who was now 16, she mysteriously vanished and never returned home after telling her parents that she was attending band practice with her classmates. Investigators initially believed that Misty had run away from home. However, she was very excited about the upcoming weekend visit to meet her biological parents. She had already packed her suitcase, which was left behind when she vanished. In early June, a number of teenagers who knew Misty reported seeing her and speaking with her several times. Later that month, there were reported sightings of her hanging out with junkies and homeless people. While local residents reported seeing someone matching Misty's description begging on the streets, there were also reports that she was involved with drugs and sex work and that she had left town with her pimp because of the publicity about her disappearance. Despite the dozens of people who told the police that they had spotted Misty in nearby communities, the investigating officers developed another theory. They claim her adoptive father had been boating on Lake Huron on the day Misty disappeared and that he may have murdered her and dumped her body in the water. While investigators searched the lake, they could not find Misty's remains, but her adoptive father was still charged with her murder. Despite the lack of evidence, he still went to trial. The case against him was so faulty that it took only 45 minutes for the jury to acquit him. The police faced heavy criticism for their investigation and were hit with a lawsuit from Misty's family. They claimed that the investigation suffered from tunnel vision and failed to pursue any leads which suggested that Misty was still alive. 
Over 20 years later, Misty Murray remains a missing person. What would you like to see next mysteriously listed? Do you have a particular theme that interests you? Contact us on Facebook and Instagram at Mysteriously Listed and on Twitter at Mysterious List. If you like what you heard today, we would love your support by sharing on your social media of choice. You can also help the show if you could rate, review and subscribe on iTunes or your favourite podcast app. Audio production, research, additional writing and hosting is by me, Ali. Music is by Mayu. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.